Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode, and I trust that these are a blessing to you and that you are also reading the Word of God yourself each day. Today we will be back in the book of Romans, and we will pretty much cover the same areas that we covered yesterday, but there was more that I really didn't have time to get into yesterday in the last episode that I believe will give a lot of clarity and understanding to what Paul was saying in that particular passage about the remnant and the elect and Israel not obtaining what they sought after, but the elect did and the reasons why they didn't. So I want us to get into that today in a little more detail, and then we will move forward in coming episodes to conclude this chapter and keep moving through this book. But these are very important points, and I do not want to rush through Paul's great treatise on the gospel. We need to give it its due worth. So today I would like to read Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 8 again. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. So let's get into this and discuss this today and see what we can glean from this passage to help us understand what Paul is saying here and then how it fits, and he will carry it forward and expound even more in the furtherance of this chapter. So he's talking here in verse 7 and 8 about those who have been blinded. The remnant have obtained the righteousness that they were all seeking. The rest haven't. And now they are under a state of blindness, and Paul is going to develop that a little more for us here in this chapter to help us understand that they have been blinded. But I want you to see some things about this blindness. The word for that's used, the Greek word here for blinded, is actually the root word of it is taken from a stone. Or it means to petrify, to harden, cover with thick skin. It's talking about being rendered or made callous and one who is unimpressible. You can't get through to them. They're not listening. Hard-headed, so to speak. Thick-skinned. They don't feel it. They don't. They, you can't get through 
It's not moving them. It's not touching them. This word is used five times in the New Testament. And I want to take a look for the rest of our time together at those examples and express some things through them. The first place in the New Testament that it's found is in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 52. And it says this, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The same word. Now, what's going on here? What, what is this in reference to? I encourage you to read the whole chapter 6 of Mark and you'll get more of an understanding of the picture. And you also may need to go back and read the account in Matthew as well to get the full account of the picture. But what's happened? Mark is bringing out here, Mark is bringing out here the understanding that the disciples had a heart that had been hardened. Do you see, Jesus had called his disciples and they were faithful and they were working with him. But they're just like all the rest of us. They still had areas that God had to be working on. And so they had developed a hard heart in reference to a particular event. And so Jesus still had to clean that out of them, just like we all still have areas that he is cleaning us up in. And that's part of this sanctification we talked about in chapters 6 through 8 and the work of the Holy Spirit to clean us and to bring us out of those things. But in Mark chapter 6, what had happened is Mark is making it clear to us that the hardened heart that the disciples had was in reference to the loaves. So let's understand what has happened. Jesus had sent them out to minister prior to this time, and they returned to him and reported to him. So, you know, they come back and they are tired and they're exhausted. And Jesus tells them, he says, I want you to go apart here. Let's go away to a deserted place. And I want you to rest a while because you're tired. So while they're en route to go to this deserted place, people start to see them. And they start to follow them. Jesus has developed a following. People are hungry. They're wanting to be fed with the loaves and the fish. They're wanting to be fed spiritually. They're wanting to be healed. They're needy people that are following them. And so these people gather and follow them and gather around. And they are hungry. There's 5,000 plus the women and the children. Jesus has compassion on them and ends up feeding them. And so he feeds them through the disciples working again. They're already tired from having to be gone out. And so now they're working again. Jesus has them on duty again. And so they're doing all this work. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what hardened their heart other than it says about the loaves. So we can assume perhaps their tiredness, their exhaustion may have had something to do with that. I don't know. Maybe they thought they deserved a vacation, whatever. But their hearts had been hardened. Jesus had sent them away. And so now he knows that they're in trouble. The winds have picked up. The winds are contrary to them. He sees them. He's on the land. He sees them in the middle of the lake needing help. This is the Sea of Galilee. So he comes walking on the water to them and he gets in the boat with them. They see him. At first they think it's a spirit, some kind of spirit being. He comes and he says, no, it's me. He gets in the boat with them. He calms them. 
but their hearts are hardened still because of the loaves, we're told here. So now let's look at Mark chapter 8, just a few chapters past this, and let's see a continuation that will fill fill us in with a little more details, I think. In Mark chapter 8, I encourage you to read the whole story. I'm going to begin the reading in verse 13. Now, where I'm picking up the reading, I want you to understand what has happened. Jesus had not long ago fed the 5,000 that was recorded for us in Mark chapter 6. Now we come here in the very first part of Mark chapter 8. There is another crowd, another multitude of 4,000. And so Jesus feeds them again. And it's interesting if you read this, and I just stress this as a side note, that the disciples wondered how they were going to feed them. And he had just done the miraculous thing of feeding the 5,000 not long before this. And so now they come to the 4,000 and they are doubting. They're like, how are we going to feed all these people? Because Jesus has had compassion on these people. He said, they've been with me now three days. If If I try to send them home, some of them have come a long way. They're going to faint on the journey. They need food. They need sustenance. So the disciples were like, how are we going to feed them? forgetting what Jesus had just done with, you know, 5,000. And remember, it's 5,000 men plus women and children. There could have been ten or 15,000. Some estimates even come up higher than that of total people, total human beings that Jesus fed. And they had 12 baskets of fragments left over. So now we come to this, and he's got a crowd of 4,000, and they've got seven loaves, And they end up feeding them. But the disciples had forgotten. And so, you know, here again, Jesus uses them to minister among the people. He sets them apart in in different, you know, groups. And then the disciples have to go and minister to them and serve in those groups. All right. So I want to read in verse 13 through 21 of Mark chapter 8. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? So in other words, Jesus is developing their character. He's getting to the root of their problem. But you see here, Jesus is letting them know your hearts are hard because you have eyes, but you're not seeing. You have ears, but you're not hearing. You're not remembering. I provided more than enough for the 5,000. 
and for the four. Do you not understand that I'm going to take care of you? I'm going to supply your need. I'm not getting on to you because of food. There's something deeper that I'm working on in your heart. That's what he's telling them here. He's trying to get to the root of the problem. So now I want to look down in that same chapter and begin in verse 29, because this will help us to come to some clarity. Verse 29, he said to them, he's, they, they come to the shore, they're in the Caesarea Philippi area, they're going that way, and Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? He's asked them, who do people say that I am? What's the rumor? What are people, who are people calling me? Who do people think that I am? Verse 29, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, I want to stop there for just a minute because that is the question that every single person must answer. And you need to answer that yourself. Who do you say that Jesus is? That alone will determine where you will spend eternity. That is where you determine whether you are justified by faith or you remain dead in your sins. That is what Romans has been talking about. Justification by faith alone. Remember in Romans 10, he said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, who is it that you believe him to be? Who will you accept him as? So he asked the disciples. Notice, Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ in other words, he said, you are the Messiah that all of our prophets foretold in the Tanakh, in our Hebrew scriptures. You are the Messiah promised of old. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now in the other gospels, you will see his response to Peter. And that's where he says to Peter, he says, you know, Simon, you, the flesh and blood didn't tell you that. The Spirit of the living God revealed that to you. <clears throat> and on the rock of that revelation by the Spirit of the living God, I will build my church. And you can read that portion of this account in Matthew chapter 16. But Mark goes on and he says then that he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter, same one who had just said, you are the Messiah. Now Peter has a misinterpretation and he's trying to correct Jesus. He's trying to help him out. He's like, no, 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 you're the king. You're the Messiah king. I know you to be the Messiah the prophets told about. But see, Peter missed some of the understanding of what the prophets had said. What about Isaiah 53? What about Psalm 22? See, all of those had kind of lost Peter's mind right then. They were gone. He, he had forgotten those. He wasn't understanding those. And so Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him, the Bible says. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, 
for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, some people misunderstand this. He wasn't being mean to Peter. He was saying, though, clearly that that thought did not come from the Spirit of God. That thought and that misunderstanding was from the enemy, from Satan. In other words, you need to think about the things that God has spoken, not the things of man, not the things of what you want to hear. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, this is where he gets to the heart of the matter with his disciples. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So here Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter with them. In other words, they had had days and days and days of tiresome ministry, but that was no excuse. Jesus compassion on the people helped and even perhaps strengthened him for that work and strengthened his resolve to meet those needs. So he fed them again. And then the disciples still had that hardened heart. They didn't understand. Perhaps they were burnt out. Perhaps they were just exhausted. Maybe they were selfish. Maybe they were thinking, well, I need a break. And this, all these people, They're just bugging me because they won't give me a break. Maybe we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it does tell us that their hearts were hardened. And it was in reference to these multitudes and the feeding of them and all of that. But notice in this passage that Paul, this is the same word for blindness that Paul uses in Romans 11. Eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, And they were missing the bigger picture and the greater need. And so their hearts were blinded. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were callous. And Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter with them to help them understand. No, it's not about you. It's about me and what I want to do to the people. So he was telling them, that they needed character development. He was working on them from within their heart because the heart of the matter was they were not having the heart of a true disciple. They weren't willing yet to deny themselves and take up their cross to follow him yet. They were still trying to kind of save their lives. They were still kind of trying to maybe have have it easy at spots and get relief. Now, do ministers in the work of the gospel, do we all not need rest? Oh, yes, we do. If you'll remember, in one place, one of these chapters, Jesus had already told them, let's go away for a little bit because you need rest. But Jesus then is taking all of these things and weaving them together to show them it's their heart that needed to be changed, 
needed to be opened to see that it's not about them. It's about the Lord. The issue was discipleship from their heart. They had to learn to lose their life, to deny themselves, to deny their fleshly wants, to do the greater work of the kingdom and follow the spirit of the living God. So let's go back to the place now that Paul quoted in Romans 11 when he used that verse to express their blindness. So to help us understand more about this hardness of heart, I want us to go back to the actual place that Paul quotes here in Romans chapter 11, and that is found in Isaiah chapter 29. And I want to read a few of those verses to you. In Isaiah chapter 29, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, when men, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Then I want to go down from there to verses 18 and 19. This is another place where the church is hidden in the Old Testament. Verse 18 and 19. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So God's going to have a remnant of Jewish people and those Gentiles who are deaf and their eyes are blinded. They're dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses and sins. And God is going to open up the understanding to them who are faithful to those who are part of that that God will have in that day and will make open to them because their heart will be open to receive it. Then I want to read in verse 22 through 24 because this is speaking about the children of Israel, those that remnant. And he says, actually I'll start in verse, yes, in verse 22. Verse 22, therefore thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding 
and those who complained will learn doctrine. So this proves to us that God is getting to the heart of the matter, just like we saw in Mark. God's getting to the heart of both Jews and Gentiles because he wants us to have open ears and open eyes. I'll never forget an episode with one of my grandchildren when he was about five years old, I guess, maybe. And I had gotten on to him about something and he didn't want to hear it. So he runs over to another chair and he cups his ears and puts his hands over his ears as if he was just going to refuse to listen to what Nanny had to say. And so we dealt with that. But in that experience, the Lord showed me something then, and he showed me that that's what this closed ear is all about. It's someone who is not wanting to hear what God has been saying, not wanting to receive the word of the Lord, not wanting to receive the correction of the Lord, not wanting to receive in this passage and in this study the Messiah and the truth about Yeshua that God has sent as the Messiah, the one that was promised of old, and they're rejecting him. And so it's like that little grandchild that's cupping his ears. Don't want to hear it. No, 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 God, my ears are closed to you. And God's getting to the heart of the matter. He doesn't want us to be callous. He doesn't want us to be hardened. He doesn't want us to have closed ears to him. The heart of the matter is when we will have open ears and open eyes and be able to see it then. Now, I want to also look at John chapter 12, verse 30 through 41. And I want to read this to you as well. In verse 30, John chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. There's the hope. There's the hope. I'm with you. I came to save you. Believe in me. Let my light come to you so that your eyes are no longer blinded and your heart is no longer blinded. In other words, he's saying, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Continuing in the reading. Verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the words of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest... They should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. In other words, they were like that little grandchild running over in the chair and cupping their ears and saying, No, I don't want to hear you. 
I don't want to hear your correction. I don't want to hear what you're telling me. It doesn't match what I want to hear. It doesn't, it's not what I want to hear. It's not what I'd like to, to hear about. So I'm going to run over here and close my ears. And so they closed their own ears, lest they would hear what God had to say and be healed by turning. You see, it was their willful hardening so that they didn't have to change because they refused him. Now, what is the solution to this blindness problem? This problem of making yourselves callous and hard, this willful choice. Yes, it is a willful choice that an individual has made, but it doesn't have to be permanent. It is not without hope. There is a solution. And the last place that this word blinded or hardened is used is where we're going to close today. And I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, When Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You see, beloved friend, the veil here, where that same word, same Greek word for blindness or hardness comes, It's because that veil is over their heart because they've refused the Lord. But there's hope. The solution to their blindness and their hardened heart is told to us right here in verse 16. Nevertheless, when one or anyone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away. The requirement to be free of that blindness, to not have the hardened heart anymore for anyone, Jew or Gentile alike, is to turn to the Lord. It literally means to turn around, to reverse course, or to turn to. Do you see, beloved friend, when we come to Jesus as a guilty sinner, standing before him, whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile, it does not matter. It does not matter. We are all the same in that sense that we stand in our guilty state. But when we realize, when it's made clear to us through that preaching of the rhema word of God and the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are walking on a sinful road and headed for destruction. And God is calling us to turn around. When we turn around and get off that path, 
stop going that direction, turn around, reverse course, do a 180, and we repent, then that veil is removed and our hearts no longer be hardened. We are then brought in to the family of God through justification by faith alone when we accept that rhema word that the Holy Spirit has brought to us, birthing faith in us to believe in Jesus and to confess him as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we then have turned course. That's how spiritual blindness is removed. That's how spiritual blindness is healed. This is the healing and the light that the elect or the remnant like Paul had found and are now experiencing. Paul's point in this is you can too. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile does not matter. You can no longer be spiritually blind. You can turn to the Lord and be healed. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.